Hey, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, so we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we have people who'd love to get Bibles into your hands. If you forgot your Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these, and take it home as our gift to you. But turn to uh, Genesis chapter 15 in, in your Bible, in one of these Bibles. If you've got a smartphone, scroll to Genesis 15, whoever it takes to get there, get to that chapter in Genesis, first book in the Bible, as we continue to walk through continue to walk through the story of Abraham's life. You know, there's a, a struggle that, that we all face, I think, as we live our lives, oftentimes caught in this space between a promise that's given and the fulfillment of that promise. Right? There's, there's that space we can live in, whether it's a, hey, it's Father's Day, we're going out for lunch after church. There's that, ah, oh, man, I can't wait to go out for lunch. And you, you, you just get that space, right? There's the birthday surprise, the Christmases, the promises we're given, and we live in that space in between. And, and it's a struggle at times, but, but it becomes an even deeper struggle when it's more than just a simple promise, when we're caught between the promise and the fulfillment that we read in God's word, when, when God promises us, promises us things. We read in Scripture that God promises peace and joy. We read in Scripture that God promises that we'll have this, this love and acceptance from Him. And we, we read in Scripture that God is working out everything for our good and His glory. We, we read that, that God is at work conforming us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, how do we live in light of these promises when we don't fully experience them? When, when I don't have peace today? when I'm not living in joy, when I, when I don't feel, when I don't experience the love and acceptance that's promised me through Christ, when I don't see things working out for my good, when I'm struggling in my walk to look and live and act more like Jesus. And we see in our lives and we see in scripture that these wilderness times, these times in between the promise given and the promise fulfilled, these times of waiting and longing, they're not always brief. They, they can last days, weeks, months, sometimes years. So much so that I think many people in this room can relate at times in their life to the psalmist who cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. You know, I think this is common in the Christian life. This is common where we find ourselves in these valleys, and we look around and we ask God, where are you? You know, God, I, I see the promises, but I'm not experiencing them. I, I, don't, I don't see them in my life. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not seeing it day by day. And if that's where you're at this morning, then Genesis 15 is so for you. God wants you to experience the hope of his promises this morning. And so before we jump in to this passage this morning, let, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning we would learn your heart. God, that we would, we would place our hope and our trust as we live in this gap, sometimes between a promise given and a promise fulfilled, that we'd place our trust, our faith, not in ourselves, not in our church, not in our family, not in our things, but that our faith would be firmly planted on you, Lord God. And Father, whatever you need to do to, to disrupt our lives because our, our hope is not in you, God, we pray that you would do that. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, well, let me catch you up as we jump into Genesis 15 here. How do we get here to Genesis 15? Well, we, we've heard that God has literally spoken to this guy named Abram. His, his name is later gonna be changed in a few chapters. It's gonna be changed from Abram to Abraham. So if you hear me say Abraham sometimes, I'm not like messing up, his, messing up his name. It's just his name has changed and now we kind of more know him by Abraham. But Abram, really a, a literal translation, Abram is dad and, and Abraham is like big daddy, all right? So it's, it's, it's like father, Abraham, father of, of many nations, all right? So that's this guy and God speaks to Abram. 
And he says, hey, I want you to leave everything. Leave your kindred, leave your country, leave your inheritance, leave everything. And God's really, what he's saying is, he's going, hey, hey, listen, everyone on earth is trying to make a name for themselves. I'm gonna make a name for you. I'm gonna make your name great. So, so leave your family, because I'll be your family. Leave your land, I'm gonna give you a land. Leave your inheritance, because I will be your inheritance. And Abram goes, he leaves. He says, okay, God, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna trust in you. It's, it's crazy because God just gave him a promise. He, he didn't see the land. He didn't see the inheritance. He didn't see the nation that would come from him. He didn't see the increase that God promised him. He just went on a promise. God said, go and I'll show you. You're gonna see this all throughout Abram's story, throughout Genesis, all throughout his life. You just keep hearing over and over again, God saying, go and I'll show you. I'll show you as you walk with me. I'll show you as you're in relationship with me. I'll show you as you're communing with me, as you walk in the in-between of the promise I gave and the promise being fulfilled. Go and I'll show you. So this morning, if you're taking notes, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna take apart a sentence. We're gonna walk through what it looks like to walk by faith with God. So it starts here by saying this, I can walk by faith. I can walk by faith. In fact, you get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 15. Look at verse six, this great line, this great statement about walking by faith that says, and he, talking about Abram, believed the Lord. He believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. He, he believes God. He believes God in the valley. He, he fully places his hope, his trust, his faith on God's promises yet fulfilled. I mean, really when that statement there that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, this is Abram's faith being lived out, being fully experienced. And so, so if that's the case, if, we, if we're gonna walk by faith, we gotta get a handle on what is faith. I mean, this is so important. We're, we're talking about what does it look like for us to increase in trust, increase in our faith. Well, then what is faith? I and mean, we're gonna see it lived out by Abram here in chapter 15. But look at verses one to three. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. I mean, how, how did Abram go from that point of totally fearful, of, of not having any trust, full of questions, full of doubt, to verse six where he says, he believes. Full of fear and doubt to full of faith. How, how did that happen? Where does this kind of faith come from? I think to, to understand that, we have to get a hold of, of when we're talking about, well, what is faith? Really, the, the question we need to ask is, what do I put my faith in? I mean, you can say this morning, man, I got a ton of faith. But what are you placing that faith on? I mean, some people say, well, I just have faith. It'll all work out in the end. Right? There's no real object of faith. It's kind of a, a faith in fate. And you, know, you can quote scripture, well, I just, you know, I, I know in the Bible somewhere, I don't know where it is, I think somewhere in the back, God works out everything for our good. So, I mean, I'm just gonna rest in, in that and, and I just believe it's all gonna turn out to be good. And there's, there's nothing to stand on. There's nothing to grab a hold of. It's just this faith in nothing, but faith itself, I guess. Do you read that verse that talks about God working it out for his good and it says that, that God's gonna work it out, that it's, it's not a faith in fate, it's a faith in God. Now, others, maybe you don't view your faith that way, but others kind of grab a hold of faith and, and, and kind of treat it like currency. Like the more faith I have in God, the more God's gonna give to me. And you hear this idea of increase. You hear, man, if I just have faith, God's gonna increase me more. So you're like, okay, God, I've got like uh, 650 faiths. So I'm gonna pay you my 650 in faith bucks. What can I get for that? And we kind of live out this, this transactional way of living and, and I got a lot of faith money and, and so I better get a lot from God. But really then the object of your faith is you and what you can bring. And the, the stronger the faith, the more you feel like you're doing okay. And again, it's still not faith in God, but it's faith in yourself. And listen, faith in fate won't last. It doesn't take very long for, the, for life to knock the wind out of those sails. 
We say, I'm not sure this is all going to turn out so easy and good. And there aren't easy answers in the midst of what I'm going through right now. Listen, faith in fate is not sustaining. Faith in, in, in just yourself and in having more faith, that's not sustaining either and not satisfying. And listen, if that's where we put our faith, it can either lead to, to self-righteousness, where you, you turn around and look at other people and go, man, I can't believe you're unemployed. Maybe you just don't have enough faith. Look at my job. I got tons of faith. Oh, you're sick? Where's your faith? Oh, oh you're, you're single? Have you seen my amazing spouse? Faith. Faith brought them. It's my faith. Or, or if things aren't working out for you, and then what do you do? You, you, you have this feeling of, God, you owe me. God, I believed a lot. God, I paid you my faith dollars. I, I gave it to you and you didn't pay up. You owe me. And Abram, his faith rests on something so different. It's not a faith in himself. It's not a, a faith in just, it's all gonna work out. It's a faith in God. It's a faith in his character. It's a faith in God's promises. Faith is this, it's believing the word of God, believing that God is good, his promises are good and true, and then we live out our lives based on that word. So it's, it's walking, it's living it out. In fact, scripture over and over again talks about that we, we walk by faith. It's believing in who God is and what he says, and we live out of that. So Abram lived out of this faith. God, I'm trusting in your promise, and I'm trusting in your character, so I'm gonna keep moving. When you read through scripture and God's calling you to live in a different way and, and sometimes you read in scripture and you're like, man, this is so countercultural what God's calling us to and he's calling us to be, to be radically generous with our, our time, with our finances. He's, he's calling us to have this unlimited forgiveness. He's, he's calling us to live lives of purity and honesty and, and, and integrity, to, to be on mission of sharing Jesus Christ at all costs. And there's, there's so many ways where you can hear this and you can, you can hear what God says and God's saying, hey, live this way. Leave all that other stuff behind. Just follow me. And often we go, I don't know if I can do this. Can I trust God's word? Can I trust his character? Can I trust his promises? What about when I'm in this valley of doubt? If you're taking notes, the, we continue on in this sentence, I can walk by faith in the midst of doubt. I mean, really, this is where Abram is. He's in a, in a, in a valley of doubt. And, and really, his questions can be boiled down. I think the same questions that I have when I'm in places of doubt. The question is this. It's, it's can I really walk by faith? I mean, can I do this? Can, do I have it in me? Can I walk by faith? That's the first question we ask in doubt. The second one is, can God be trusted? Can I make this? Can I, can I actually follow God in this way? Can I do what he's calling me to do? And secondly, can God be trusted? And we ask these questions. Can I do this? Can I be trusted? Will God come through? Can he be trusted? Look, look at verse one, how it starts off. Look at the doubt here. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, fear not. Now, why would God start out by saying, fear not? What's going on in Abram's life here where he would say, fear not. I mean, it could be this. Have you noticed every time an angel shows up on the scene and he's talking to somebody that the first word of an angel's mouth is always fear not. I'm thinking it's because angels are not fat little chubby babies in diapers with wings and a bow and arrow, right? That is not what angels look like. If that showed up, I'm not, well, actually I probably would be scared, but in a different way, it'd be very weird, right? Angels show up and I mean, there are God's warriors. My, my guess is when an angel shows up as a spiritual warrior, there's some fear when you see these angels. So, so they're always saying, fear not. Well, here God is speaking to Abram. So you can imagine the, maybe the fear that might be there. It could be that, don't fear. It could be because of what Abram had just come through. It says here, after these things. So what was these things that it's talking about here in chapter 15? Well, in chapter 14, Abram uh, actually was in a battle fighting this group of kings to rescue his nephew, Lot. Abram defeated these kings and he won the battle, but maybe, maybe he's thinking, man, are they gonna retaliate? Maybe he's got this fear. You know, I, I think what his fear was though, 
I think it's revealed in what comes out of his mouth when God shows up. It's, it's, it's what he speaks reveals where his heart is and why God showed up knowing Abram's heart. Verse two, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? Another way of saying it is, is I'm gonna die childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. He's wrestling with this doubt. I mean, I mean, for us, it's only been a couple chapters. It's been two Sundays. For Abram, this is 10 years after God first made the promise. It's a decade later that God said, I'm gonna bless you with a child. I'm gonna, I'm, a nation's gonna come from you. I'm gonna give you a land and a people. I'm gonna increase you, Abram, so you can increase my mission for the world. And after all these years, can you imagine month after month, his wife, Sarah, still not pregnant. Months go by. She's getting older and older. And you can imagine that, that pain, that, that wondering every month that comes through again. And like, no, no, not pregnant again. He's wondering, will, will, will all of this be for nothing? Will all my inheritance go to my servant in my household, Eliezer? Is he gonna get it all? And, and what Abram must have been thinking is, God, are you gonna come through? I mean, can I keep walking in faith? Can I really place the anchor of my soul in you? Can I place all my hope and my faith in you, God? Are you going to come through? Have I left it all for nothing? Maybe this morning you can relate to those questions. Where you see that, that God just isn't answering on the timeline that you would want him to answer on and, and you've trusted God for big things, but in these moments where it doesn't seem like he's coming through, doubt begins to set in. And you begin to ask, man, have I been a fool to trust in God? Is, is God gonna come through? I mean, I, I thought I'd overcome this struggle by now. I, I thought I'd be past this bitterness in my heart. I, I thought I'd be beyond this hurt. I, I thought my marriage would be healed. I thought my, my family would be restored. I thought my parents would stop fighting. I thought my prodigal kid would come home. I thought that my mind would be calmed by now. I thought that things would line up by now, but they haven't. And fear and doubt can set in. And begin to say, God, are you trustworthy? Are your promises true? I've staked my life on this. Lord, I've left it all for this. And now it's so dark and God says, fear not. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. And, and Abram asks some questions. God says, I'm your shield. I'm your reward. And Abram goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God, here's my doubts. It hasn't happened yet. God, why isn't this happening? I think anybody here this morning can relate to that. I don't think there's anyone here who goes, man, I don't get that. Every time I pray, it's like instant answer. Like I just pray about something, bam, it ha like join our prayer team, please, if that's you, right? I think for the rest of us, there, there's a battle. We wrestle in prayer sometimes, don't we? Where we're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting you with this. I'm calling out to you in this. And we get to this place, we say, God, I'm still trusting you for these things. I'm still waiting on you for some things, God, but I have questions, I mean, what do we do with that? What do we do with those doubts? I mean, I, I grew up in churches where, where, where you weren't allowed to have those questions. You, you better not doubt any of the, 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 the tenets of the faith. Do not question anything about God, any of those struggles. Just, just leave them. And listen, you're, you're, because we're not allowed to wrestle with those doubts or struggles... You create this community when you're not allowed to doubt that, that, that is telling the world, hey, you can't be emotionally authentic and be a Christian. And we create this, this culture, this space where you have to fake it until you make it. You just, just suck it up and don't tell anybody your doubts. And could you imagine if Abram said, when God said, hey, Abram, I'm here to talk. And he goes, oh, I'm good, God, I'm totally good. Like nothing, I'm good, I'm doing fine. I don't have any doubts, I'm just, just trusting here. 10 years, but I know you're, I know you're trustworthy, so I'm, I'm good to wait. Like if, if Abram didn't express his doubts, we wouldn't have chapter 15 here. We would miss out on what God's gonna do in the midst of his doubts for Abram. And listen, for us, for us to read and go, wow, God, you're so good even in my doubts. Now Abram expresses his doubt. And look at verse four. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him 
And he said, why don't you stop your whining, you worthless human? Right? No, it doesn't say that, right? You're follow, I hope you're following along. That's why I say grab a Bible because I'll just say anything. You got to check it out, right? No. <clears throat> no, no, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. God, God leans into Abram's doubt. He doesn't say, well, forget you then. I'm finding somebody else to make this thing happen. No, God leans in and says, hey, listen, Abram, in your doubt, I'm gonna give you more of myself. I'm gonna come to you in the midst of that doubt. God's not condemning the doubt. He's dealing with the doubt. Now, now listen, there's, there's another side to this. There's the community that can be created where you're never allowed to doubt. But I, when I walked away from, from church, I walked away from my faith. I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm not allowed to doubt. Forget that. I entered into communities that would be like, yeah, celebrate the doubt. Like not, not just doubt's good, but doubt's the best. We need to stay there all the time. And, and doubt's considered the highest, most sophisticated, most mature way of thinking. And we're told, just doubt everything. But here's the thing, if that's where you are, there comes a point in doubting where you have to be honest with yourself and say, hey, listen, maybe I need to start doubting this doubt myself. It's, it's this arrogant place, really, to stand over top of everything and say, I doubt it all without saying, maybe I have to doubt my doubts. Maybe my cynicism's wrong. Maybe all my questions, maybe there's a place where I can go for answers. Maybe I don't have to be so fearful and stay in this place of doubt all the time. Maybe I don't need to be so fearful. Maybe I can step out in faith and actually move forward. So, so God doesn't say to Abram, hey, don't you dare doubt. But God also doesn't say to Abram, hey, thanks for sharing your doubts, man. That was beautiful. God presses in on his doubts. He doesn't condemn, but he also doesn't let Abram just sit in his doubts. He, he says, listen, doubters are welcome. Honest admission of weakness is the way that God increases us. It's, we go low and God brings us up higher. It's, it's the way we grow from being just an Abram to an Abraham. These doubts are good as we lean into them. But listen, listen, the biblical way to doubt is to allow that doubt to cause you to lean more into God, not further away from God. I would say this good doubt is this, it's, it's faith seeking understanding. That's biblical doubt. Faith seeking understanding. See, I, I don't understand this, I don't get this, I wanna lean into this more. Faith seeking understanding. God, I want to know you more. God, I want to follow you more. God, I wanna talk this out with you more. Abram doesn't reject God in his doubt. He leans in more and God leans more into Abram. So verse four actually says this, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Go, Abram, Abram, come on outside. Look up at the sky. Count the stars. Abram's like, I can't count. God, God it's, it's impossible to count. That's your offspring. Look what God did. God didn't say to him, Abram, come here. God, God, God said, Abram, come here. And he showed him the promise again. He didn't say, come on, Abram, let me, let me show you something. Sarah, Abram's wife, come on out. Bam, she's nine months pregnant. Woo, that's amazing. Doubt gone, Right? That's not what God did. God said, Abram, come on out. Let me point you back to my promise again. Nothing tangible changed for Abram. God said, look at the stars. That's it. And Abram leaned in and he, he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's that moment where God shows himself to you and in your heart, you just know, you say, God, I believe you. I can't even explain this. And maybe your friends are looking and going, man, your life's weird. What are you doing with this whole Jesus stuff? And you're, you're, you're leaning into this. So much. You go, man, I'm just telling you, man, God has spoken. And I believe. Maybe Abram looked up and he thought, God, you made all of that. You hold all of that together. You are so awesome. You are so sovereign. I can trust your promise. I don't know what happened in Abram's heart, but something changed and, and, and his faith moved off of his circumstances. His faith moved off of, of himself and he placed his faith again in the promises and the character of God. And it, it changed everything for Abram. It changed his relationship with God. It says here that that belief, it was counted to Abram as righteousness. What's that mean? It means that his relationship with God was, was right. It, 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 was, it was in order he grabbed a hold of this truth that God, you're God, 
and I'm Abram. His heart reordered. And it's this, this right relationship that happens when you say, God, God, you are awesome. You are, you are sovereign and I'm not. So I'm resting in you. I mean, look at verse 15. We're gonna get through all these verses, but, but just skip ahead real quick to verse 15. It says, as for yourself, God talking to Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here. Talking about his, his, his uh, generations, the, the children that he has. They shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What's God saying? He's saying, hey, Abram, four generations after you're dead, I'm still working this thing out. There's something going on here, Abram, and it doesn't all circle just around you. God's saying, I'm dealing with nations here. I've got bigger stuff going on than just you, and I'm working it out. And God's saying, Abram, you're not the hero of this story. I am. So, so stop resting in yourself and, and rest your faith in me. I mean, there, there's this freedom we have when we start to realize, wait a minute, I'm not the point of the story. This whole thing doesn't revolve around me. One of the most freeing truths I was taught was this, that I'm not the hero of the Bible. Don't you ever get this? I mean, I grew up in Sunday school and you read through the Bible and it's like everything's about me, right? You have the story of David and Goliath. So be David and slay your Goliaths. Daniel goes into the lion's den, dare to be a Daniel. I don't know about you, but I'm in life now. I'm going, man, I can't. I'm not as brave as Daniel is. Listen, listen, the point of God's word is not to point to us. It all points to Jesus Christ. That, that there is a truer and better Abram who answered the call of God to leave everything, the comfortable, the familiar, and Christ left heaven to risk everything, to give his life for us, his people. There's a true and better Isaac, the son of laughter, the son of grace, who, who wasn't just offered up by his father on a mountain, but he was sacrificed for us all. There's a true and better David whose victory that he won over Goliath and the people didn't have to pick up a stone. There's a true and better David who comes Jesus Christ who wins the battle over sin and death and Satan and we don't need to do anything to accomplish it on our own. There's a, there's a true and better Passover lamb, the innocent, perfect, helpless slain so the angel of death would pass over us. Jesus is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. Listen, the Bible is not just a bunch of disconnected stories about things going on with us as the centerpiece. It's a single narrative that points to Jesus Christ, the promise fulfilled. And life turns for us when we rest in the truth that God, you are God, I am not, and you're working things out for my good and your glory. And my faith is gonna rest on you, God, not on me. And when we do that, the relationship's made right. Our heart is ordered. In fact, I wanna give you guys an example of this. I thought a great example would be as we uh, welcome the Brubakers home. I'm gonna have Jay come up. For, for those of you who don't know, Jay and his family have been in Papua New Guinea for quite some time and they, they've come back now. And I thought that Jay's story would be a great story for us to, to like walk out what this looks like. So Jay, welcome. Hey, nice to be here. Happy <laughs> right Father's on. Day. Thank you, you too. Hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us the, a, a bit about the call that God had on your life from a very young age? So I grew up in a pastor's home, spent a lot of time in church. That was back in the days of Sunday morning, Sunday night. Sunday night. And uh, when missionaries would come to our church, I was the kid who was loving that. I just loved to hear their stories, loved to hear what God was doing in the world. And uh, early on, that built a desire in me to know more about that. And it was just kind of like a gravitational pull towards those things. So further on in life, I uh, actually, when I got out of high school, Chris and I went and talked to a mission board one time and said, hey, you know, we're not really doing anything right now. We have jobs and stuff, but, you know, we're available. And they said, nah, it just didn't go anywhere. So I kept working. And uh, all the while I was reading missionary biographies and books, and God was still building this desire in me for those things and loving it and feeling like there's no place in missions for me. And then um, I was in church one Sunday, and uh, this missionary from our area here, he gave a presentation, and his whole thing was, we need people who are like contractors to go over to a certain country because with your skills and what you can do, 
we can speed up the spread of the gospel to people who have never heard. Hmm. And the next day I was at work doing the very same things. I saw him presenting on the screen and then the light bulb switched on in my head and I went, I'm in, I can do that. And so that was about, I don't know, 2005 or something. 2007, a couple guys from the church here, Darren and Horst, they went with me to New Guinea and uh, we did a work trip for a month and that was kind of like putting the feet in the water, testing it. And then 2007, uh, 2010, Krista and I and the kids, we went for three months and did another longer work trip and tested it out some more. And then uh, after 2010, we came back, we got tied back in, in the church here and uh, into our ministries and we just kept on going at life. And, uh, and I was going to this church and the pastor kept on preaching about Reckless abandon and life on mission and mission of life and church on the go and you need to go and you need to step out. And I'm like, oh, and I'm reading God's word and God's word was speaking to me so loudly in these passages and about going and about the fact that, you know, with Moses, God said to Moses, go to Egypt, I will be with you. And then Abraham, he's like, Abraham, you need to leave your place. You need to go. I'll be with you. And then Jesus says to the disciples, go to all the world and I will be with you. Mm. I was like, that's enough for me. That's okay. I, I can do that. And then after that, talking about the call, you know, how did I get to New Guinea? I don't know. God just kind of put New Guinea on my heart after being there. Early in our church's relationships with Nicaragua, I went to Nicaragua on an early trip to build our relationship down there. And I said, you know, God, is it just New Guinea or is it, you know, whatever? And I came back from Nicaragua feeling Nicaragua was great. I love it, but it's not where I need to go. So in 2015, we went to New Guinea. So when you, when you guys went, I was going to get Jay to kind of tell, hey, what, what did God do in your time there? We thought a better way to do it would be to have a, a video. So we're going to show a video right now just of, of what God did during that time in Papua New Guinea. So.
Amen. So, Jay, it's, it's obvious from that, that video, and, and I mean, we got um, emails from missionaries that your work was um, increasing, that God was doing some amazing things, that, that people were getting into parts of the jungle in Papua New Guinea that they couldn't get into as quickly and easily before the gospel was going out. Things were, it wasn't easy all the time. I mean, difficult time for your family, not an easy place to live, and yet God was at work. And the plan was to stay for a good amount of time and then pray about, is this going to be a long-term, lifetime kind of thing? And yet, here you are back here again. What, what happened? What, what happened to bring you guys back here? In, uh, I think, 2013 or 2014, somewhere in there, um, I had this emergency open-heart surgery, and uh, they replaced one of my valves with an artificial valve, and uh, they did the whole cut open your rib cage, open it up, like the big surgery, and um, that changes things physiologically for a person, and you're just not quite the same as you were before, and I've made a full recovery, and I'm still doing lots of active things, obviously, but you're not the same person you used to be, and some of the effects of that are in a country like that, where being bit by a mosquito, you can get crazy diseases, is it's a dangerous place for someone with my condition long-term, and uh, my wife, she got a crazy tropical disease that you guys wouldn't even believe, just by being in the same room with a person and with what I have and with the blood thinners I'm on and the medication I take, if I was to get something like that, which there's a ton of over there, it would be a game ender for me. And so partway through the process of being in the country and having a few symptoms and talking with my cardiologist and praying about the whole thing, well, soon on we figured out lifetime commitment in that place, it's likely not a good fit. And so Chris and I started praying about it and just, Lord, what do you have for us? Give us your, your steering in this area. And then I, I talked to my cardiologist and I said, this is the wisest man I know in this area. So what he says to me, it needs to be, you know, I'm going to believe that. And so even before the meeting with him, I was just praying and I said, okay, God, just speak to me. You know, through this meeting, speak to me. So I said, okay, Dr. John, what should I do? And he said, you need to come home. So I said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, so, Jay, in saying that, I mean, your, your whole life, and I've known you for a lot of years, your passion and drive has been missions. And like you said, as a kid, reading missionary books, getting fired up about this, and that's God's call on your life, missions, and now all of a sudden, that's taken away. And you're brought back here. Where's your hope as you come back home? Where do you put your hope and your trust and your rest in this phase of life now? Well, I would say... The process of going and building up to going and then being there, some things that we learned about the Lord in a more significant way, like you and I, all of us good Christian folks would say that God is sovereign, for sure. We'd all raise our hands, yes, he is. But I'd say God is much more sovereign than we give him credit for. Hmm. And even in going and being in New Guinea, it's like we had our plans, what we knew at the time, and what we thought was going to happen, and then God just... He had such a better plan for us, you know, and it wasn't drastically different, but he just, here, here's a little tweak here, and I'm going to plug you in differently here and here and here, and it was so much better when we did his plan than if our own plan rolled out, so much better, and in the going process, you know, it was really scary, and we wanted to quit, I don't know, all the time through the whole process, <laughs> like everybody thinks, yeah, you'd go, and that's exciting, good for you, it's like, no, it was terrifying and scary, like, Abraham, and we wanted to quit. And then every time we were about to quit, God would just give us just a little something to keep us going and a little encouraging word from someone and prayer of people. And I, I can tell you, if God, likely there are people sitting in this room right now who don't want to look Kai in the eye when he's preaching about this because you know there's something God wants you to do. <laughs> but I can tell you, it's doable. Like, if it lines up with God's word, it is doable, whatever it is. Because, like, the mountain that God helped us climb to go over there and do all of our missionary stuff, it seemed like Everest when we started. And God's like, you got a big problem here in this area, something you think's too big for me? I'll just take that out of the way and solve that problem for you. What's next? Okay, finances for this whole thing? Here you go. Whole bunch of people on board to support. And God was completely faithful the whole way. And coming home from that, knowing how sovereignly good and faithful God is to my family, laying out plans ahead that I don't even have a clue about. My identity is not Jay, a missionary. My identity is Jay, a son of God. Amen. God, my father, loves me, 
and he has plans for me that are awesome, whether it's there, whether it's here, and I can trust his plans, even if I don't know them, I can trust his sovereignty and his character, and I don't have to know what the plans are next. Mm. I know I'm back, I know I'm working, and we're doing life as a family, trying to get plugged back in, and, and that's enough. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jay. Let me, let me pray for Jay. <laughs> let me pray before we, uh, before we wrap the sermon up. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for um, the work you did um, through uh, the Brubaker family. Um, God, it is, uh, it's an encouragement to hear him talk, uh, not just about the work that you accomplished, but God, that you are s- such a good father. God, that you're a, a, someone we can rest in and trust in, that we can trust in you in the here and now for whatever you have for us because we rest in your promises. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thanks, Jay. Just get one last point. And then we're going to wrap this thing up. Here's the, here's the, the last part of this sentence that, that, that flows right out what Jay just said. He, how can we walk by faith in the midst of doubt? You heard Jay say it. I can walk by faith in the midst of doubt as I rest in God's promises. As I rest in God's promises. God takes care of Abram's doubt and he increases Abram's trust in this stunning way of saying, you can trust me, Abram. Look, look at verse 7. And he said to him, said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that this is all that, uh, that I shall possess? All that I shall possess. He goes, God, God, that's great, but how am I gonna know? And God says this in verse nine. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all these. There's something weird going on here. Maybe if you read that, I don't know. Sometimes the Bible makes me laugh sometimes. If if you you just kind of read it at face value and and God, how will I know? Bring me a cow. I have faith. Thanks, God. I just needed a cow. No, there's something going on here, right? There's something happening. Here's what's going on. It's this this idea. It's weird because it doesn't fit in our culture. We don't get it in our Canadian culture, but, but there's something going on here that Abram right away went, oh, I get it. I know what God's doing. What God's doing, he's saying, hey, hey, Abram, why don't you get your legal team together because we're about to sign a legal binding contract. And actually, it's deeper than a contract. It's what scripture would call a covenant. Contracts can be broken. Contracts can be renegotiated. But, but right away, Abram knew what was happening. Man, God's entering into a covenant with me. He'd be thinking, this is great. I mean, I asked God, how can I believe you? And God says, I'll tell you how much you can believe me. I'm gonna enter into a covenant with you. And and so what would happen is you would take these animals and and you would take the animals, you would cut them in half, lay them on either side of a trail as they're cut in half as the blood runs into the path and you would walk through that. And you'd be saying as you walk through it, if I break this promise, if I break this covenant, let be done to me what was done to these animals. Rip me apart in the same way. What a way better way to do contracts, huh? Could you imagine? You go to your mechanic, he goes, it's gonna cost you this much. Oh yeah? Fetch me a cat, right? And you're like. Like, he'll know you're serious, right? God's saying to Abram, he's saying, listen, I'm binding myself to this. Verse 12 says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. He's talking about Egypt and, the, and God's people in Egypt. He says, but I'll bring judgment on the, on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. He goes on, look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give you this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and some other ites there. He's saying, I'm giving you all of this. And what's amazing about what God does here, it's who passes through the pieces. 
It says there was a flaming pot. There was a fire that passed through that. That word fire, it's the same word used when it describes God's presence on the mountain where he met Moses. It's the same word used when God goes before the people in the wilderness as a, a pillar of fire by day and a cloud of smoke at night. It's the same words used here. What God's saying is, hey, hey, I'm walking through this. And if I don't keep my promises, Abraham, you can trust me because if I don't, if I don't bless you, the impossible will become possible. I'll be cut off. I'll be cut up. I'll die. Now, that, that's mind-blowing enough that God would do that, but not only does he do that, I mean, that takes care of my doubt of God. Can I trust God? God, are you gonna come through? Man, I know you're going to, by the way, you, you made this covenant, but God takes care of our doubt. Man, can I follow God into those tough places? Can I trust him through the process God walks through, but look who doesn't walk through the pieces. I mean, historically, when you do one of these covenants, and especially if it's a king and a servant, and you would cut these animals up, the king wouldn't walk through. The servant would walk through. The king says, yeah, I'm not doing it. You're going to do this. You're going to make these promises, and I'll bless you. I'll give you protection, and I'll give you things, but you walk through as the servant. If he was a gracious king, a really kind king, he might walk through with the servant, but for sure, the servant goes through. But here, only God walks through. God's saying, he's saying, listen, Abram, I'll be torn apart if I don't bless you, if I fail. I'll be torn apart, Abram, if you fail at this. This promise rests fully on me. I mean, how different is that? Think about the other things we can put our, the anchor of our hope in. Think of the other things we can trust in. When we put our trust in other things, when they fail us, we die. Don't you feel that? When, when, you, when you put your hope in some sort of idol of a person or stuff or things or yourself and that lets you down, man, it feels like you're dying. Here's the other thing. When you fail, typically the idols we put our hope in, they kill us too. If I fail, I die. If you fail, I die. God says, no, I'm turning this around. And, and we know that centuries later that a great and dreadful darkness would fall again. In Mark 15, it says that, that at noon, Darkness fell on Calvary, on the cross, where Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus was, like it says in Isaiah 53, 8, it says that he was cut off. It's, it's covenantal language. He was cut off from the promise. He was cut off from everything he had. Why? Because God was fulfilling his promise. God was saying, I'm gonna bless you. And even if you fail, you enter into this relationship with me. If you fail, I'll be cut off. And in that moment, Christ fulfills that promise. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us all through Christ Jesus. Every other way of living, every other religion, every other way you can create yourself and how to live, every other way makes you walk through the pieces. You have to be your own shield. You have to be your own reward. And so we have good deeds, moral living, all these things we do to serve, to do, to work harder. Why? Because we're walking through the pieces and we can't fail because if we fail, we die. And God comes in and says, listen, you, you've got a different way of living. In the midst of your doubts, you either place the anchor of your faith in someone who can hold that anchor or in everything else. And we put our anchor in everything else. We're floating in the middle of the sea. The anchor isn't in everything. In every wind and wave that hits us of trials in our life, and we're trying desperately to be secure, the anchor doesn't hold. Only the bedrock of God's promise and his character can hold. So this morning as we, as we close, if you're really worried about something this morning, if you have anxiousness about something this morning, if you're bringing past sins and guilt and shame, if you're bitter and can't get past it, if, if, if you're saying, listen, I'm afraid, I don't know if God's gonna come through for me, listen, understand this, hear this, God walked through the pieces for you. And he was torn to pieces on the cross because he's unconditionally committed to you. And you can put your life anchor there. You, you can move beyond the, the theological, just talking about it. And you can actually live it and experience it. There's nothing in this world that can keep you from the promises of God. 
We know that, that, that God's promise and his character that, that through Christ is all ours. I, I love what it says in, in 2 Corinthians where Paul, looking back on this thing that happened in Genesis 15, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter one, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. You can ask God, am I, am I gonna experience your promises? yes. God, will I know your presence? Will I experience your peace? Will I, will I have your joy? Will I be with you for eternity? And what do you do? You see the cross of Christ and you recognize all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. They're guaranteed. So when your heart screams out, but how do I know? How can I know if I can trust in God? How do I know if I can follow God through this valley? You can look at the cross again and see God fulfilled his covenant with you. And let the cross, let the gospel of Jesus Christ shut the mouth of the doubts. The cross can clearly say you can face anything. You can live a life of trust. Why? Because God says, I'll fulfill all my promises. You can rest fully in me. So this morning, where is it that you need to place your trust? This morning, where are you waiting on God? This morning, where do you need to move your anchor off of what you've put your hope in to place it firmly in the character and promise of God? Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we uh, so often live in this in-between space we know your promises. We read them in your word. And yet, God, we don't always experience them right here, right now. But Lord, I pray that in the midst of these doubts, God, that we see and hear you clearly. God, where you enter into the doubt and you show us more of who you are. That, Lord God, you walked through the pieces. You, you were torn apart for us so that we never would have to be. You were forsaken, Lord Jesus, so we never would be. So that, Lord Jesus, you, you could say to us today that all the promises of Scripture are yes in you. Father, I pray that we would rest our hope and our trust in you alone. Not in our good works, not in the things we do, not in the things around us, but God, we can trust you. You are good and gracious a father that loves unconditionally. We put our hope in you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.